Welcome to yet another edition of Stories of the Dark for your Monday. I am Glenn Clark, your host, and tonight we're going to be talking about holiday ghost stories. So, and uh, this is a live program, by the way, and uh, so any of you listeners, if you have any uh, holiday ghost stories you'd like to share... Go ahead and send those to me to my email. That's storiesofthedark1 at gmail.com. And uh, if I get them, I'll go ahead and read them on the air for you for tonight. Uh, A couple of uh, show notes. Um, At some point in the near future, we are going to be going out on the road again. We're going to go out to the old uh, Salton Sea and... uh, explore that area out there and then we're also go uh gonna plan another trip for the uh lake dolores water park uh, it's abandoned out near uh, barstow california so we're gonna go out there and check that out as well we'll do that sometime in the near uh future so let's get to some of the news of the day uh home invasion robbers terrorize hollywood hills renters Police are looking for home invasion robbers that reportedly held up a Airbnb rental where Magic Johnson's daughter was staying. Police are looking for two men behind a home invasion robbery at the Hollywood Hills home where Magic Johnson's daughter was staying over the weekend, forcing her to flee for her safety. On Monday, investigators were trying to find two men who broke into a into a home in the 7200 block of Woodrow Wilson Drive Sunday morning at about 7 a.m., according to the Los Angeles Police Department's media relations section. Two male suspects entered the location and removed property from several victims. They fled and no one was injured. According to TMZ, several friends were renting the home for the weekend, said Elisa Johnson, was inside of one of the bedrooms when she heard the commotion of armed robbers terrorizing her roommates. TMZ reports that she fled outside a back door and ran down the street. The thieves reportedly made off with cash, jewelry, and electronics. And security guard kills man at a Sunset Boulevard Walgreens. I actually saw this story this morning on the uh, KTLA Morning News. A, <clears throat> a security officer in Hollywood shot and killed a suspected shoplifter at a Walgreens drugstore Sunday night, police announced. The deadly incident happened at 8.10 p.m. at the Walgreens at Sunset Boulevard and Vine Street, according to Los Angeles Police Department Officer D. Orris. The security officer confronted a suspected shoplifter at the store, and it escalated into a fight, according to police. The guard allegedly shot the man in the upper body during the scuffle. The man was rushed to the hospital where he was pronounced dead. The shooting is under investigation by the LAPD. Homicide detectives are trying to piece together uh, the events leading up to the deadly shooting. The security guard has not been arrested in connection with the shooting, 
Officer Nor Norma Eisman of the LAPD Media Relations Section said. And cops ID man after he was dragged by car in South Bay. Says the victim grabbed grabbed a passenger door and was dragged a couple of hundred yards before he fell off, according, according to a sheriff's statement. Authorities identified a man Monday who was fatally injured when he was dragged by his car as it was being stolen in front of a convenience store in Lawndale. Luis Cuba, 47, of Hawthorne, died at a hospital on Saturday night, the coroner's office reported. According to the sheriff's department, Cuba parked his vehicle in front of the business in the 4400 block of Redondo Beach Boulevard at about 8.25 Saturday and then got out, leaving the engine running. As he was walking towards the business, unknown suspects entered the vehicle and began to drive it away, according to, according to a sheriff's statement. The victim grabbed the passenger door and was dragged a couple of hundred yards before he fell off. No suspect descriptions were released. Valley sex offender caught photographing kids heads to prison. An astute community member alerted authorities after seeing a man taking pictures of children at an elementary school fundraiser. And uh, it says here, a convicted sex offender caught photographing children at a San Fernando Valley mall is to be sentenced to prison today thanks to an astute community member who reported him to police. 57-year-old Warren Alec Johnson of North Hills is expected to be sentenced to about 12 years in federal prison after pleading guilty for possession of child pornography. After Johnson, a construction worker, was caught photographing children attending an elementary school fundraiser at a restaurant in a Granada Hills strip mall, federal agents raided his home. They found a compact disc containing at least one image of child pornography involving a minor under, under the age of 12, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office. Johnson could be sentenced to as much as 20 years in prison, but prosecutors are recommending Johnson serve more, no more than a dozen years behind bars. And in national news... Uh, today, uh, uh, today was the day that uh, former President Bush's uh, ca uh, casket was uh, transported to uh, Washington D.C. See, the nation nation's capital embraced George H. H. W. Bush's in death Monday with with solemn ceremony and high tributes to his service and decency as the remains of the 41st president took their place in the Capitol Rotunda for three days of mourning and praise by the political elite and everyday citizens alike. With Bush's casket atop Lincoln Catafalco, 
folk, first used for Abraham Lincoln's 1865 funeral, dignitaries came forward to honor the Texan whose efforts for his country extended three-quarters of a century from World War II through his final years as an advocate for volunteerism and relief for people displaced by natural disaster. President from 1989 to 1993, Bush died Friday at age 94. At an invocation opening Monday evening ceremony, the U.S. House Chaplain, the Reverend Patrick J. Conroy, praised Bush's commitment to public service from Navy pilot to congressman, U.S. UN ambassador, envoy to China, envoy to China, and then CIA director before being elected, uh, my internet's been a little slow on me, vice president and then president. Here lies a great man, said uh, House Speaker Paul Ryan. A gentle soul, his legacy is grace perfected. But vice President Mike Pence and Republican Senate leader Mitch McConnell also spoke. President Donald Trump did not attend, but he, but he and First Lady Melania Trump came to the Capitol later Monday to pay tribute. They stood in front of the casket with their eyes closed for a few more moments before Trump select, uh, saluted the casket. Political combatants set aside their fights to honor a Republican who led in a less toxic area and at times found commonality with Democrats despite sharp policy disagreements. Democratic Representative Nancy Pelosi past an incoming House Speaker, exchanged a warm hug with George W. Bush and came away dabbing her face. Bush himself seemed to be holding back tears. Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, the Senate Democratic leader, placed Reese in a short ceremony before the rotunda was to be open to the public. It was to re remain open overnight. Sent off from Texas with a 21-gun salute, Bush's casket was carried to Joint Base Andrews outside the capital city aboard an aircraft that often serves as Air Force One and designated Special Air Mission 41 in honor of Bush's place in, on the chronological list of presidents. His eldest son, former President George W. Bush, and others from the family tra traveled on the flight from Houston. Cannon fire rose again outside the Capitol as the sun sank and the younger President Bush stood with his hand over his heart watching the caskets procession up the steps. Bush was remembered just feet away from what he called democracy's front porch. The west-facing steps of the Capitol where he was sworn in as president. He will lie in state in the Capitol for pub public visitation through Wednesday. An invitation-only funeral service, which the Trumps will attend, is set for Wednesday at the Washington National Cathedral. And... Uh, my our sympathies do go out to the Bush family with that, and uh, 
And just an interesting note, there are only still, there are only four living former presidents right now. Um, President Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama. So we're going to take a little break right now, and then when we come back, we'll uh, start the program. We're going to, uh, as I said, we're going to talk about holiday ghost stories. So that should be a fun show. So I'm Glenn Clark, and this is Stories of the Dark. Maximum Volume
welcome back to Stories of the Dark. I am Glenn Clark, and we are talking about holiday ghost stories. <clears throat> so, yeah, uh, when you think of Christmas, you normally don't think of ghost stories, but uh, some of the best ghost stories are, you know, do happen around this time of year, and uh, we're going to share some of those uh, for you tonight. Um, First one I'm going to read from is from southernliving.com. Ten Southern Ghost Stories Guaranteed to Make You Shudder. The most notorious legends of the South's spookiest specters, believe them or not, there's something about the chilly October air that makes the Halloween season a perfect time to share scary ghost stories. The South's bizarre history, obscure happenings, and inexplicable circumstances provide the perfect setting for these scary stories. We've compiled some of the scariest uh, southern ghost stories we could find in folklore and research. These may be real ghost stories, and they may just and they might just be scary legends of the South. While the legend of Huggin' Molly in Abbeville, Alabama is a kid-friendly ghost story, the ghosts of the LaLaurie Mansion in New Orleans, Louisiana are some of the scariest souls in the South. There are plenty of famous Southern ghosts. The Bell Witch, whose legend in part inspired the Blair Witch Project, still haunts northwestern Tennessee. Florida's ghost of Bellamy Bridge still roams the swamps searching for unrequited love. Read about the ghosts that... that uh, I've lost my part here. Read about the ghosts that linger in famous southern haunts, southern folk folklore, scary folk tales, and ghost stories. Just be warned, these ghosts may haunt near you. So, scrolling down here, the Blair Witch, Adams, Tennessee. Perhaps one of the most notorious ghosts in the world, Tennessee's Bell Witch legend has been around for over 200 years. In the early 1800s, John Bell moved his family to northwestern Tennessee's Red River Settlement. A few years later, Bell encountered strange animals sitting, uh, encountered a strange animal sitting in the middle of his cornfield. The animal had a body of a dog and a head of a rabbit, and when Bell attempted to kill the creepy creature, it ran away. The family soon after began hearing mysterious knockings, rattling chains, faint whispering, and even dog fights in the dead of the night. For years, the Bell family kept their troubles a secret. Finally, John Bell shared his... And for some reason, I got a pop-up show up on my screen here, and I don't really like it, so... Gonna have to figure out what happened there. Bear with me, folks. Sorry about this. So, don't you just love when the internet gives you a hard time like this? 
Okay, see, I'll, uh, okay, finally John Bell fair shared his family's trouble with his neighbors and soon the entire region had heard of the Bell's witch. After years of torment, John Bell was mysteriously poisoned and the spirit's visits became far less frequent. A number of theories attempt to explain the witch's presence blaming a series of women, including Betsy Bell herself. But some local folks still insist that strange things still happen around the Red River settlement and blame the Bell Witch. The Ghost of Lavina Fisher, Charleston, Tennessee Many myths surround the legend of Lavina Fisher, a 19th century Charleston woman convicted for highway robbery and hung just off Meeting Street. Some claimed she was America's first female serial killer, based on speculation that she and her husband would lure travelers to their inn, slip poison in their tea, steal their belongings, and carry their bodies out back. However, her and her husband actually belonged, belonged to a band of highway thieves, and was never accused of serial murder. Still, the details surrounding her death are chilling, believing that she would be pardoned up until the moment she was hung. Lavina, according to her legend, used her last breath to scream, If you have a message you want to send to hell, give it to me and I'll carry it. Her ghost still haunts the old Charleston jail house, and tourists still claim sightings of her ghostly apparition. Ghosts of the LaLaurie Mansion, New Orleans, Louisiana To this day, Delphine LaLaurie's extravagant Creole Mansion in New Orleans' French Quarter is the city's most legendary haunted house due to the gruesome torture that occurred over 200 years ago. Dr. Louis LaLaurie and his wife Delphine were once known to be one of Creole society's most influential high society couple. However, uh, Delphine uh, soon gained a reputation for being brutally cruel to her servers, and neighbors began noticing the unexplained disappearance of parlor maids and stable boys. One night after a fire broke out in the kitchen, firefighters discovered a chilling secret room full of tortured servants. Word spread throughout New Orleans, and the angry citizens formed a mob dead set on avenging the tortured humans. The LaLaurie managed to escape to France, and haunted souls began seeking revenge on the building's occupants immediately. The house fell to ruin. No one wants to live in the house haunted by tortured souls. Huggin' Molly, Abbeville, Alabama While this story may not make you shudder, you should be glad that you didn't grow up around this variety of ghost. If you're familiar with Abbe Abbeville, Alabama, you probably heard of Huggin' Molly after all. Her name is written on the town's welcome sign. The legend of Huggin' Molly traces all the way back to Ireland, and today she roams the streets of Abbeville wearing a long shroud 
Huggin' Molly appears only to young people out past their curfew. She runs up to these rule breakers, give them a giant hug, and screams in their ear. For over 100 years, parents have been been relying on on her legend to teach their kids not to stay out after dark. The Ghost of Bellamy Bridge, Mariana, Florida. There are many different versions of this story. Nonetheless, the Bellamy Bridge ghost just might be Florida's most infamous ghastly legend. Bellamy Bridge is an old steel frame bridge that spans the Chipola River just north of Mariana. On dark and foggy nights, Elizabeth Jane Bellamy is said to roam the swamps surrounding the bridge, mourning the loss of, of love cut short. Elizabeth was only 18 when she died. Days after marrying her husband, local politician and planter Samuel C. Bellamy, in one version, her extravagant wedding gown caught fire the night of her wedding. In another, she contracted malaria. After her death, her husband, so stricken with grief, eventually committed suicide. Visitors to the Bellamy Bridge claimed to have seen the fire extend seen fire extending from the bridge, mysterious white lights, and even ghostly, even the ghostly figure of a young woman walking through the fog. The Red Lady of Huntington, Montgomery, Alabama. In the early 20th century, a young woman named Martha started college at the Woman's College of Alabama, complying with her father's will. Martha's favorite color was red, and she decorated every surface of her dorm in Pratt Hall with, with in the crimson shade. Because she didn't make friends easily, Ma Martha lived alone on campus, and she was very unhappy. She retreated to her room, living in isolation, and only left her bed in the middle of the night. One evening, after failing to attend classes and dinner, Martha was found lying on the floor of, in her room, dead. To this day, generations of Hun Huntington residents have claimed to have witnessed Martha's ghost, the, the red lady roaming around the halls at night, emitting a strange red glow. The Myrtles Chloe, St. Francisville, Louisiana one of the legendary mini-spirits haunting the Myrtles Plantation in St. Francisville, Louisiana, the ghost of Chloe may be the most notorious. According to legend, Clark Woodruff, owner of the estate, was having an affair with Chloe, a house servant. Eventually, Woodruff, tired of Chloe and Chloe fearing she would be sent back to the fields to work, began eavesdropping on family conversations to see if if they spoke of her. Woodruff ca caught her and cut off her ear as punishment. <clears throat> to hide the scar, she always wore a green scarf. Now, nobody knows if, if Chloe did what, what she did next to get back to the family's good graces, or as revenge, she slowly poisoned a birthday cake, and Woodruff's wife and two children died. 
The other servants, ashamed at Chloe's evil acts, hung her in a nearby tree. <clears throat> While this legend may be pure folklore, a mysterious photograph of a woman's figure lurking in a shaded corner in 1992 has perpetuated Chloe's myth. And we're going to take a little break right now and uh, play some more music. And we'll come back and uh, share some more stories for you. I'm Glenn Clark, and this is Stories of the Dark.
and welcome back to Stories of the Dark. I am Glenn Clark, your host, and uh, we're sharing uh, holiday ghost stories and continuing on with uh, southernliving.com. Dolly Madison. Dolly Madison, wife of fourth president of the United States, James Madison, is one of our country's most beloved first ladies. Known for turning the D.C. swamps into a social hub, Dolly endeared everyone with her wit and charm, but she didn't like to be tested. During her time living at the White House, Dolly built a beautiful rose garden. Years later, when Mrs. Woodrow Wilson occupied the White House, she requested the rose garden be replaced. Legend has it that the moment workers turned their spades, Dolly's ghost arrived and chased them all away. Now that sounds like a realistic story about a southern woman. The ghost of Julia Legary, Edisto Island, South Carolina. Legend has it that in the mid-1800s, young Julia Legary was visiting Edisto Island She fell ill with diphtheria and fell into a deep coma. After being pronounced dead, she was buried in her family's crypt. When her brother passed away 15 years later, her family opened the crypt and found her body pressed against the door, trying to escape. Thought for dead, she had been alive all along. Throughout the years, the crypt's doors would randomly fall open, eventually... Even the chain of stone would not remain hinged, and the family's members gave up and removed the door entirely. Some locals swear that scratches on the inside of the crypt were made by by Julia desperately trying to escape being buried alive. Ghost of Wright Square, Savannah, Georgia Savannah has no shortage of ghost stories, and the tale of Wright Square Ghost may be the creepiest we've heard. The spooky story begins in 1724 after a man was found lying strangled on his bed. Although the deceased man, William Wise, known to be slightly shady, his death still caused quite a stir in the community. Investigators convicted two of his servants, Alice Riley and Richard White. Although the two attempted to flee, they were eventually caught and sentenced to death. Alice's execution was delayed until she gave birth to her son, James. Although Alice adamantly proclaimed innocence, eight months later she faced Wright Square's gallows. A short while later, her son died. Legend has it that she haunts pregnant women and mothers with infants, searching for her lost baby. Next time you're in Savannah, notice a shortage of Spanish moss in Wright Square. According to folklore, Spanish moss will not grow where innocent blood has been spilled. Very interesting stories there from... SouthernLiving.com. You can have a look at those and and uh, check out some of the. You can read those stories and uh, also all the links uh, will be posted at the bottom of the 
of this uh, video in the uh, description so you can uh, click on all those as well you can also uh, as always follow me on Facebook Instagram Twitter my email is uh, stories of the dark one at gmail.com you can email me anytime with uh, show suggestions ghost stories anything you'd like I welcome any and all uh, comments uh, good bad you know you name it I I'm open to pretty much anything so so uh, so, so right now we're gonna uh, read the next uh, read from the next website it's called hellogiggles.com so I know it doesn't sound like a ghost story website but uh, yeah Five holiday ghost stories that will make you wait for Santa with the lights on. And uh, Santa, of course, you know, Santa will not come until you're in bed, so you might as well go to, you know, but you can leave lights on, you know. <clears throat> in modern times, Christmas is all about warmth, happiness, and spending quality time with family and friends. But about a century ago, spending time with family and friends often included telling ghost stories at Christmas time. Guests would gather around the hearth on a cold winter's night to try to spook one another in with blood-curdling tales of the paranormal. According to SmithsonianMag.com, telling holiday ghost stories is a tradition that dates back to the time before Christmas was commercialized during the tail end of the Victorian era. Centuries ago, the Christmas holiday tied up with the ancient pagan celebration of Yule. Yule was celebrated on the shortest day of the year, December 21st, a day when it was believed that the dead could easily interact with the living. Pagan time, uh, themes matched with the warmness, warmness of spending time with loved ones is the perfect mix for the tradition of telling holiday ghost stories to sprout. When you're inside, huddled around the warmth of a fire, what better thing to do than swap scary tales? We've reached, searched and found a few creepy Christmas-themed stories from the days of yore that will add a bit to your spookiness to your holiday, jolly holiday. And, oh whistle and I'll come to you, my lad. This is a story from the classic Victorian ghost story writer M.R. James, who loved to tell a good scary story at his Christmas gatherings. O Whistle and I'll Come to You, My Lad, takes place around Christmas time in the fictional English town of, of Burnstow. A snobby Cambridge professor des, decides to take a holiday to, the, to a seaside town where he discover, discovers an old whistle with a Latin inscription on the side. Unable to read the Latin warning, the professor blows into the whistle. That night, the professor is plagued with horrifying dreams about a mysterious figure in the distance he can't quite place. His dreams become reality when he finds that the unused bed next to his own in the bed and breakfast he's staying 
at was disturbed while he was out. And continuing on, uh, Horror, a true tale. John Berwick Horwood, another Victorian ghost story master, wrote this ghastly tale from the perspective of a narrator looking back on an event from her young adulthood. When she was 19, the narrator's family was hosting Christmas in a large hall of their home. Due to the influx of guests, the narrator had to give up give up her room to an elderly relative. The narrator took refuge in a spare bedroom. A spare, creepy bedroom. While trying to sleep, the narrator could not help but feel something was lying beside her. Harwood described the girl's frenzied thoughts. And yet what lay by my side, now wholly unseen, I strove to pray aloud. As there rushed on a memory a flood of weird legends, as I shuddered, as I gazed on the black darkness where I knew it lay, it stirred. It moaned hoarsely. I drew myself from it, shrinking away in loathing and terror of the evil thing. What I knew not but felt that something malignant was near. And uh, they do have, uh, that isn't the whole story, but they you can actually click on a link and it'll take you to the story. It's quite long. I was going to read it, but when I saw the the size of it I decided not to so anyway here's a a nice one uh, here it said a Christmas Carol everybody knows that this compilation wouldn't be complete without mentioning the most renowned holiday ghost story a Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens first published in 1843 Dickens crafted a story revolving around the mid miserly Ebenezer Scrooge. Scrooge hates Christmas and cares only for the change in his pocket. On Christmas Day, while Scrooge spends his holiday alone, he is visited by the ghost of his former business partner, Jacob Marley. Marley is bound in chains and weighed down by money boxes. He warns Scrooge to avoid the same fate. Later, Scrooge is visited by three other ghosts. The ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas yet to come. They show Scrooge how he became the man he is, how his ways affect others, and how his peers celebrate his future death. After being visited, Scrooge decides to change his ways and goes forward treating his fellow townspeople with kindness and respect. If you're digging these Victoria-era Christmas ghost stories, we highly recommend that you check out the Valancourt Book of Victorian Christmas Ghost Stories on Amazon. It's packed with traditional ghost stories that were told at the hearth during the holiday season. And with that, we'll go ahead and take a, take another quick break, and 
play some music for you and uh, I've even got a couple of YouTube videos I want to share with you that have uh, uh, holiday ghost stories so we'll be right back after this I'm Glenn Clark and this is stories of the dark We are sharing holiday ghost stories, and right now I want to play a couple for you, a couple of uh, videos that I found here on YouTube to talk about. Um, one is uh, 
two disturbing true Christmas Eve horror stories. And the second one I'll play for you uh, right after this one. We're going to do both of them at the same time. <clears throat> Is four, or well, we'll do one and then we'll take a break and then we'll come back and do... Uh, the other one, and uh, that one is called Four True Terrifying Christmas Horror Stories, both shared by uh, Mr. Nightmare. So you can go and have a look at some of, his, some of their work and uh, like and subscribe. Also like and subscribe my uh, YouTube channel. Um, I like when you do that. So right now let's uh, share... First Around six o'clock. It was snowing heavily by this point. And sorry about that. I just queued it up wrong a little bit, but we'll go back to the beginning. All right. This is uh, two disturbing true Christmas Eve stories. I'll share this, and we'll uh, take a break, and then play the other one. I'm Glenn Clark. This is Stories of the Dark. Last year on Christmas Eve, I was working late. I'm 23, I work in New York City and commute home every day on the train. Since I'm one of the younger ones in the office, I got stuck with one of the worst shifts, so I wasn't able to get home until 5 o'clock. My family had already left a whole hour earlier to go to my cousin's house, so I had to drive alone. After having a quick snack before the half hour drive, I got back in my car and put my cousin's address into my phone. Halfway through the drive, it started snowing. I got to my cousin's house around 6 o'clock. It was snowing heavily by this point, and I just made it in time to catch everyone starting dinner. I brought all of my gifts inside and cheerfully said hey to everyone. I stayed until around 11 o'clock. The rest of my family left a little sooner. I stayed an extra half hour or so just to hang out before leaving myself. By the time I was leaving, the ground had accumulated at least two feet of snow, and it wasn't even done snowing. The drive home was nightmarish. The roads were hardly even plowed, and I had to drive under 20 miles per hour on most roads. The roads were completely dead at this point, though, most likely because everyone was smart enough to go home before the snow accumulated. Eventually, I turned onto a main road that I'm sure would usually be bustling. But at 11.15 on Christmas Eve night, there wasn't a single car or a single light from a store. It was a ghost town. But then I did notice the flashing taillights of one car. It was parked on the side of the road, and the smoke seeping out from its exhaust with the taillights giving it a red tint. As I got closer, I realized there was somebody next to the car waving their hand in the air. I assumed something was wrong and they needed help. So, me being the good Samaritan I am, I pulled up behind the car. When I opened my door, the guy approached me immediately, barely even giving me time to step out. He was an average-sized man, probably 5 foot 10, 180 pounds. He spoke in a very demanding voice, asking me if I know anything about fixing an engine. I told him I didn't know much about cars. The guy responded very quickly to everything I said. He told me it's fine. He went inside of his car for a second, popped open his trunk, came back out and told me to just wait by the trunk for a second. I had no idea what he wanted me to do, 
I was really confused. He walked over to the front of his car, and I heard him open the hood. I couldn't see anything he was doing since the trunk was blocking my view, and the loud wind of the snowstorm overpowered any small noises he might have been making. I put my hand on the back of the car and leaned my body in anticipation, when suddenly I heard three or four quick and aggressive footsteps in the snow behind me before I was pushed into the trunk. The man tried to close the trunk on me, but I kicked my feet up in resistance and held it up. I was able to overpower him and kick the trunk open completely. As I took advantage of the few seconds I had to get out of the trunk, I took out my keys. He tried to grab me now, and I dug my house key right into his neck. He fell to his knees and his scream echoed down the deserted street. I was in my car and halfway down the road before he could even get up from his knees. A little further down, I called 911 and reported the guy. I came back in 10 minutes to find blue and red lights illuminating the windows of the deserted stores. The police held him until the ambulance arrived for him. I watched the whole thing and nothing ever felt better in my life. I got home safely half an hour later and told my family everything. I was still very shaken that Christmas, and this remains possibly the most horrific thing I've ever experienced. It was Christmas Eve, 2009. I was 18 years old, working at CVS. Unfortunately, I got stuck with a closing shift on Christmas Eve, meaning I'd be the only one there until midnight. I was considering quitting over it, but my parents weren't for that. The CVS was five miles from my house on a rather quiet corner on a dead-end street. During the day, it would normally be busy, at least busy enough to stay in business, but past 8 o'clock, it would be uncommon to see any customers. On Christmas Eve night, I didn't expect to see a single soul past 8 o'clock. My shift started at 4, and it was surprisingly busy for the first few hours. As I expected, past 8 o'clock, it really started to die down. The pharmacy closed at 10 tonight for Christmas Eve. Unfortunately, that meant I'd be alone at the register up front for two hours. Plus, I had a crush on the girl who was working the pharmacy, and we were talking most of the time the store was empty, so I was upset she was leaving. A whole hour went by, and I only rang up one customer. Come 11 o'clock, I was already getting excited for my shift to end. I'd been the only one in the entire building besides one customer for the past hour, and I was losing my mind. Suddenly, there was a very slight tap on the window. It didn't sound intentional, though. It sounded more so like somebody's zipper accidentally scraped against the glass. I turned to look out the window and saw a man out there. Heavy coat on, hood over his head, baggy jeans, and black boots. He was staring right at me. A few seconds after he realized that I noticed him, he walked over to the entrance and entered the store. He stared at me as he walked past and down one of the aisles before disappearing behind the shelves. Then, five minutes later, the tapping noise began. It sounded like it was coming from one of the aisles. I walked a little to the right behind the counter just to check down the aisle. Nobody was there, though. The tapping was so consistent and deliberate, I knew it was the man making the noise. But where was it coming from? I didn't know, but I had a sudden urge to go to the bathroom. 
Only problem, I wasn't supposed to go to the bathroom when there was a customer in the store and I was alone with them. Ten minutes or so passed and I didn't see the customer, but I would occasionally hear the weird tapping noise coming from one of the aisles. It got to the point that I couldn't take it anymore. I stepped out from behind the counter and called out, Uh, excuse me? I started walking around the aisles, looking for this man that walked in. He was nowhere to be seen, but every aisle I entered, I would hear noises coming from the next aisle over. I walked down the candy aisle and heard some of the sleigh bells jingling on the other side of the shelf, like someone was intentionally shaking them. I tried to peek through the tiny holes in the shelves to see if I could see him. I saw something completely unexpected and horrifying instead. I saw a pair of eyes staring back at me through the tiny holes in the shelf. The eyes moved away, and then the tall man entered the aisle I was in. He was making these weird noises, like a child or someone who had just escaped a mental asylum. He started laughing and doing this weird tiptoe kind of hopping over to me. It sounds funny, but it was a straight-up disturbing scene, and he was approaching so fast that I actually began to fear for my life. I started walking away from him, and he followed me everywhere in his weird hopping. I was back at the front of the store, ready to call my manager or the cops. Then I looked back at him and saw that he was frozen at the end of the first aisle, maybe 20 feet away from me. His goofy, eerily happy face turned to an aggressive, angry-looking stare of malice. I was officially done with this and walked out the front door, and to my horror, the man started charging at me. No more goofy hopping around, he was sprinting at me. I ran outside the store, too afraid to go to my car, because I feared he'd get me before I could lock the door. I ran around back and entered through the back door, which was still unlocked. I didn't know if he was still on my tail or not. I locked the door and hurried to the front of the store, where I locked the front door too. That was when I picked up the phone on the counter and called my manager, who was luckily still awake. I told him I had to leave immediately because somebody crazy was following me. Then, I thought I heard something over my conversation. It was coming from inside the store. I put the phone down and realized it was the tapping again, coming from one of the aisles. I was out of that store and in my car within 20 seconds. I never came back. I called my manager when I got back home, and he called the cops. Surprisingly, nothing was stolen, or so I heard from a friend. My manager obviously wasn't too fond of me for leaving his store like that, so I never spoke to him again. I had as normal of a Christmas as possible, given what happened the day before. Two disturbing true Christmas Eve horror stories from Mr. Nightmare. So we're gonna take a little break right now, play a play a song, and then we'll we'll come back and share the last story, and then that'll be what uh, what wraps up the show. So I'm Glenn Clark. This is Stories of the Dark.
So we were having our Christmas Eve dinner. Turkey, stuffing, and other dishes that you would expect to get on Thanksgiving night. We don't have a big family. It was my grandparents and uncles from my mom's side of the family. At the time, we lived in a duplex with some guy and his girlfriend on the other side. We never really saw them much. Strangely, we had a door that connected our sides. And no, that's not something that most duplexes have. It had a very unique kind of lock, though. It had to be unlocked from both sides to be opened, and it could open in either direction. I only saw it open once before the two moved in, ever since the door had been locked, at least on our side. While we were sitting at the dinner table eating, the doorknob to the door that separates the sides of our duplex twisted and turned before the lock would block it. It was not accidental, as it was going on for at least 10 seconds. My dad got up and walked over to the door, placed one hand on the lock and one hand on the doorknob. You need something? There was no answer. He unlocked our side of the door and swung it open. Their side of the duplex was completely pitch black. It seemed as if nobody was home. It was only about 6 o'clock, and we were certain we saw them leaving earlier. Me and my dad went to check out the window, and their car was gone too. Being good neighbors, we assumed the worst, that there may have been an intruder, so me, my dad, and my uncle went to the other side to investigate. We flipped on all the lights and checked every corner and every crevice of the small first floor. Then we heard a thud and a crack from upstairs. It was pressure on the floorboards. I was freaked out, so I stayed behind while my dad and uncle ran upstairs. I felt my heart skip a beat when a huge commotion erupted from upstairs before the scream from my uncle echoed across the duplex even to the other side as my whole family got up from the table now. Moments later, my dad came rushing down with my uncle beside him with his hand covering his lower shoulder or chest area. There was a stab wound. We all hurried back to our side of the apartment and locked the door. We dialed 911 and simultaneously heard rapid stomping coming from the other side, and then heavy banging and ramming into the door to the point where there were small chips and cracks forming. We could hear the grunting and screaming of the man as he rammed into the door. My other uncle and my dad each grabbed kitchen knives. I armed myself as well. They told all of us to stand back while they waited by the door. Thankfully, the man on the other side gave up before the door gave in, and we heard him exit out the front door. We watched through the window, and we all saw his face as he ran through the snow and turned to see us through the glass. He took off in his black Honda Civic down the slushy roads. It doesn't end there. The following year, the same neighbors still lived there, and they seemed to be having a Christmas get-together with a few people. By chance, I was looking out my bedroom window, being a sketchy snoop, when I recognized one of their guests to be the same man who had allegedly broken into their side of the duplex. When I told my dad, he agreed, and we approached them about it. He denied any knowledge of what we said, and even our neighbors defended him, saying he was from out of state. There was nothing we could do for proof, but we knew one thing. Those neighbors, for whatever reason, set that up. We moved out about a month later after our new grown fear of those neighbors became too much. This happened when I was only five years old. It was Christmas Eve night, meaning I guess it was technically Christmas, and I had awoken at probably 3 a.m. or something. I walked downstairs to the living room out of my little boy curiosity to see if Santa had delivered any presents yet. 
The tree was full of presents underneath already. I was so happy. Santa had come already. But what was this? There was someone in the kitchen going through the fridge. I remember stepping into the kitchen and seeing a really tall man going through the fridge chugging a milk carton. When he spotted me, he put the carton back in the fridge and shut the door. He then put his fingers on his lips to tell me to be quiet. Are you Santa? I asked him. Yes, I am, he told me quietly. He walked past me, patted me on the head, and stepped into the living room next to the tree. I don't know what I was thinking, even at five years old, as he wasn't wearing anything even resembling Santa. He looked around at all the gifts. I thanked him for all the presents as he began picking up the bigger boxes. I remember being confused, and I'm pretty sure I asked him why he was doing what he was doing, but I don't remember exactly what he said. I believe it was along the lines of, just replacing the gifts with better ones in my sled. I believed whatever he said, though. He walked out the back door with three boxes, came back momentarily to grab more, then left once again. He came back in and patted me on the back and told me not to tell my parents that I saw him. I smiled and agreed, and he took off with the boxes. I waited for him to come back with the replacement gifts, but he never did. I eventually went up to tell my parents, despite what he said. When my parents realized I wasn't joking, they sat up in shock and fear and ran past me downstairs. When they saw half the presents were gone and the back door was left wide open, my mom screamed like a deranged person. I remember my parents were practically scolding me, demanding for me to describe the person who entered our house. Of course, being five years old, the description I gave was anything but useful. All I probably told them was that he was tall. It's been almost 15 years now though, and at this point for me, being that I was only 5 years old, it's nothing but a story to tell, rather than a bad memory at all. Did you ever used to have a fear of those guys who would dress up as Santa Claus in the mall or at Christmas parties? Up until the age of about 8, I certainly did. I think I was six or seven years old when me and my mom were walking through the mall with all the Christmas festivities and decorations up. Festive bands playing jingle bells, a giant tree in the center of the mall, and of course a mall Santa sitting in a chair covered by a green blanket. There was a small line of kids and parents waiting to sit on the Santa's lap, maybe two or three kids. My mom insisted I sat on his lap. Normally it would be the other way around, the kid begging the parent to sit on the lap, but she knew how shy I was. There wasn't anyone by the mall Santa's side, like one of those people who calls the next child up. It was just him. When I sat on the stranger's lap, he grabbed me by the chest and said softly in my ear, What do you want for Christmas? I think I said a Game Boy Advance. He left and assured me I would receive one. Then, for whatever reason, my mom walked up to the Santa and said something quietly to him. He chuckled in response to whatever she said and then said no problem. My mom told me to wait there by the Santa for a few minutes until she came back. At this point there were no more kids waiting to sit on his lap, so his attention was directed at me. He told me to come over and sit on his lap again. I somehow obeyed, despite my fear of Santa Claus. When I sat on his lap, he pulled me closer to him so that my back was leaning on him. 
When I think back on this moment now, it's all the more painful and creepy. He then whispered in my ear that he had a Game Boy Advance outside by his sled, and if I followed him, I would get it right now and wouldn't have to wait until Christmas. My fear suddenly turned to excitement as I believed him. We both stepped off the chair, and I followed him down one of the exit hallways, but halfway through, he stopped and told me we should take a bathroom break first. We stepped into the bathroom, and he quickly locked the door. I turned and looked at him as he looked at me, but before anything else could happen, there was a frantic banging at the door. Somebody on the other side was yelling to open up. The Santa opened the door, and a man pulled him out and shoved him. The man then escorted me back to the center of the mall, asking me where my mom went. I watched as the fake Santa casually walked out the exit door and out of my sight. When my mom came back, the man explained everything. I'm pretty sure he was watching the whole time. So he and my mom asked around to see if the mall hired any mall Santas for the day. They did not. Whoever that was was just a pervert dressed as Santa to get kids to sit on his lap and possibly wait for a perfect opportunity to snatch one, just like he almost did me. This story took place about five years ago on Christmas Eve night. It was around one in the morning, and I had just finished placing presents under the tree. I went upstairs to brush up and everything, then came back downstairs to the kitchen to get a glass of water before bed. My son Jake, who was four at the time, was standing by the stairs leading to the basement. I asked him what he was doing up so late. He pointed down the stairs and said, Santa. I picked him up and carried him back to his room. I took a glass of water and went to bed. I woke up around an hour later to my son running down the hall outside my room. I sighed and got out of bed. As I was going down the stairs, I saw Jake by the tree looking at presents. Then he ran past me into the basement stairs again. He pointed down the stairs again. This time I looked down the stairwell, and my heart dropped as I saw a black figure sitting on the bottom step. I almost screamed, but I somehow held it in. I pulled my son quietly away from the basement door and closer to the front door of the house. I moved my hand away from my son's mouth to reach for the lock in the doorknob. I tried to pull the door open as quietly as possible, but it was pointless. The squeaky hinges let out the usual ear-piercing screeches, and I cringed in my mouth and eyes as I did. Suddenly, there were heavy stomps coming from up the basement stairs. I screamed and pushed open the storm door and practically threw Jake outside. I shut both doors behind us and we ran to the neighbor's house. I rang the doorbell as fast as possible, probably 30 times before they answered. After that, we went inside and stayed there and waited for the police. Whoever that person was was gone, though, as determined after the police conducted a thorough investigation of the house. I ended up lying to Jake, telling him that actually was Santa Claus. But a few years later, he remembered the incident and became a little more wise to what actually happened. terrifying Christmas horror stories as told by Mr. Nightmare. You can go and check out their uh, YouTube channel and like and subscribe if you wish. Also like and uh, subscribe to mine as well. That would uh, that would help a lot. 
So, <clears throat> so with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the program. Uh, hope you enjoyed tonight's show. It uh, was a pleasure doing this for you. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, as always, thank you to my uh, uh, followers on uh, Twitter, fa uh, Facebook, Instagram. I'm uh, up to about 200 and... 60 followers I believe on Twitter right now which is very good thank you to all of you and uh, keep supporting the program that's what keeps us going also um, um, I also have uh, stories of the dark merchandise available uh, you can check those out on uh, Black Circle Girls uh, website she'll have all the links posted and as always, thank you to her for all the work she does on my show with the development and design and all that. She does a very beautiful job and also support her work because uh, holiday season coming up right now and uh, she needs all the sales she can get. So with that, we'll uh, see you in our next edition. And as always, be safe out there, especially if you do any ghost hunting or Whatever it is you may do, just be safe and make sure you follow all uh, rules. I'm Glenn Clark. I, the, I am Glenn Clark, and this has been Stories of the Dark. Have a great night, everyone. <laughs>